and welcome to CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Crown Cigars and Ales here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm your smoke master general, Mr. Trey Dedman. Was I a little bit better this time? This you, is Mr. Shane Reeves. You were. It's, it's interesting. This is kind of like getting a running start now. Because we're used to having, you know, lighting the cigar and all the ritual and all. But now since we're both actively smoking at the moment, it's really exciting. Well, and I think it's a testament to what we're going to talk about pretty much at the top of the show is that, you know, I came off of a really hard day, had not even had a cigar at all today. Usually I have one either around lunchtime or on my way down here. And I was uptight. I was just, you know, it wasn't... So, lifting the veil for the listeners, this is our second... We, we recorded the first half of the show, both realized we weren't digging it, and we decided to come back and do a take two for you guys. So, um, I think it is a testament. You know, the Olympics are coming up. Every athlete out there will tell you, you can't go and compete until you warm up. And I think we just needed to get a little bit of a warm up in this week. I think there's, there's some of that. And there's some, there's some energy you kind of have to get. You know, we, we have stress in our lives, and stress kind of comes in, and it's all a matter of... Um, you know, stress affects people differently and all. It's all about, I'm, I'm a very compartmentalized person. Stress in one part of my life don't affect another part of my life and all. But that's, that's just who I am. There's nothing wrong with being, you know, a little less compartmentalized. Right. And all. So, yeah, we're just, we're going to go philosophical, but we're going to, I'm going to tell you at least what I'm smoking. And all I at least you don't have to worry about running out of cigar before we get to the end of the show. <laughs> Absolutely. I went to Big Love's last night, and Pedro brought me my 14 by 50s. I have it in the Habano and the Maduro. Do you really? And I'll, I didn't bring you one because I didn't think you would want to smoke it. I'm dubious as to where I'm going to still be interested in this cigar by the time I'm done with it. You know, it's funny. Because there are a handful of cigars that I smoke, and I think, man, I wish that was just a couple of inches longer. And I'm not even opposed to smoking the same cigar back to back. You know, you you finish one, wait a few minutes, and then light up the same. You know, so essentially you're getting a a double-length cigar. But 14 inches of cigar in one shot, you know, that's going to be... now. That that new one that Dom Pedro is doing, the the unbanded uh-huh. Nicaragua, the, the, Padron, the, the clone. Padron clone, I can smoke a fourteen inch one of those. Absolutely, Thanks. I could have him actually whip you one of those up <laughs> to, to talk to him. All right, <laughs> and all, but yeah, he's Pedro's so great. You know, all that st- he came to Big Loves last night and did a rolling event there for them, and I went up there to sit with them, and it, it was a cool experience. Big Loves is a beautiful shop. I love. Have you ever been in there yet? No, I haven't oh, been up there. Though, up the, she has red leather couches through oh, the whole I like thing. That. And all because she said they're big Alabama fans there, and it just kind of fits the motif. Mm-hmm. And all, it's really fun. I, had, I really had a good time. Jay and Laquitas, Laquita, I think is her name. If I mispronounced your name, I, I apologize deeply. But Jay and his wife really treated me well up there, so it was a That's lot of awesome. fun. Yeah, I need to. I need to. It's not terribly far from my house. I need to get up there. I haven't. I just don't make it to that part of town very often. Uh, but yeah, I just. It's funny looking at you smoking a 50 ring gauge cigar because I feel like that's it's it's like I'm watching you smoke a Lancero through binoculars. I feel <laughs> a little like a Bond villain. 
I feel like this is a good Bond villain cigar. I feel like that it, that I should um, be plotting to overthrow the free world or, or at very least try to run over a kitten with a train or something. So I was in a cigar. This, is, this cigar would be perfect for what I'm... I, I, I have to believe at this point is a... Um, is is a, is folklore and probably never actually really happened. But one of my favorite stories about cigars, cigar people being cigar people, is back in the day when you used to be able to smoke in the courtrooms. There was this attorney from I think either Louisiana or Kentucky, and one of the things that he would do as kind of a mind game is that he would smoke a Churchill during the trial, but he would never ash it. And the way he would do that, he would take uh, a wire and right. run it right up the thing. I just think, could you imagine doing that with a 14-inch long cigar? Oh, that'd be awesome. And never ask that. I, I want to see the long ash you can get uh, on I'm that gonna, thing. I'm going to have to try that now. That's, that's a great <laughs> idea. That'll be cool sometime when I'm just... But, you know, I got them, and really the only time I'm going to smoke them, I'm going to smoke this one here tonight, and occasionally I'm going to have one out in public, but most of them are going to be, you know, on Sundays... My main goal in life is to not put on pants and sit on my back porch and smoke cigars all day. That's kind of my main goal in life on Sundays. If I can accomplish that, I feel like I've had a full day. <laughs> and all. That's just what I enjoy. And this is the perfect cigar for that because yeah. you don't have to go get multiple cigars. You don't have to run back in and out. Yeah, and you, could, you could last the whole day on one cigar. Yeah, and I've got some, you know, my buddy Brandon. I guarantee you, Brandon could light this at 11 o'clock when he gets to Big Boys, and he would still be smoking at 11 o'clock when he left that night. <laughs> you know what it reminds me of? As you know, the they make now wine glasses for the the absurd the absurd mommy wine culture that we've talked about on the show before. So they make the glass that hold an entire bottle in a single glass. Right, it's like a carafe. Yeah, I only say you know I said I was only going to have one glass. I didn't say how big the glass. You know that that just like leading into alcoholism tendencies. That's the cigar equivalent. I, I said I was only going to have one cigar today. I didn't say anything about. <laughs> Honey, I'm going to have one cigar, and I'll be right home. Yeah. By the way, speaking of which, and I'm, we're, okay, we're just enjoying ourselves tonight, folks. If you want cigar news, listen to somebody. <laughs> listen next week. Um, we, yeah, we decided this is the all-philosophy episode. Okay, so I finally solved a problem, and this is creative problem-solving in my life. How do you solve a problem like Maria? <laughs> Maria? Yeah. Uh, uh, you lost me. It's Sound of Music? Oh, Okay. I, I knew going musical theater was going to trip you up. Well, it's just not in my wheelhouse. <laughs> Though I do love a good musical. Yeah. I don't like any of the modern stuff. The modern stuff's terrible, but I like some of the classics. I watched West Side Story for the first time recently. God, that was awful. Oh, horrible. Oh, horrible, my horrible. gosh. But, okay, so I have this problem in my life. I like to have an old-fashioned. And you need cherries for an old-fashioned. Okay, now those listening at home know that when my wife and I listen to this podcast, she just hit me for bringing this up on the air. Okay. So, my wife... Specifically maraschino cherries, not real cherries. Yeah, maraschino cherries. Maraschino cherries that have been bludgeoned, dyed, and just been ridden devoid of any of their original cherry essence. Right. I I would like them to glow in the dark, if at all possible. Yeah. (laughs) They're fake cherries. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're cherry-shaped globules. Yes. 
my wife loves those and she'll pop the cap on a bottle of maraschino cherries and drink it like a fledge taking his first beer i mean she just she loves these cherries i'm gonna go ahead and just like just preemptively say no We'll trade eat it? Absolutely not. Absolutely I, Absolutely a no on maraschino cherries. So I, I thought, well, okay, here's what I'll do. We'll buy two jars. One jar will have Glenda on the lid. One jar will have Shane on the lid. And that's all great until the Glenda lid jar is empty. The Glen, I come in, the Glenda jar is gone. The next day I come in, the Shane jar is gone. And I said, what happened to my cherries? She said, I ate them. <laughs> what, you mean our cherries? <laughs> I said, but honey, my name was on the lid. She said, well, I took the lid off. <laughs> <laughs> if ever there was circular reasoning. I No, that's brilliant. You got to put it on the label. So yesterday, all she had to do was switch the lids. <laughs> we yeah. leave the empty one in the, in the fridge for a day. It's fair game now. I don't know what happened there. So yesterday, I'm at the liquor store. And I picked up some low and slow, which is a great pre-made old-fashioned mix. All you do is drop cherries in it. You're done. It's got the bitters. It's got the sweet. It's got the bourbon. It's a great pre-mix. Yeah. And also, I picked up a bottle of that, and there at the counter, $21 a bottle, Luxado cherries. And I bought a bottle. And mm. I came home, and I said to my wife, these are $21 a bottle. Please do not eat these. I'm thinking that she won't eat them because she's just t- she's not going to spend the money. She's not going to to take on a twenty-one dollar bottle of cherries. How I think much is that, that per cherry? Like it's like fifty cents a cherry. She asked the same question. What do y'all think I do? Dump these things out and count them? <laughs> hey, Glenda, I noticed old number six has got a bite taken out of it. Would you like to tell me something? I'm just saying, like <laughs> like value proposition on a cherry, like on most bite-sized produce, is pretty low. Like that's that's expensive. Oh, it is. And that's the point. The point is, it's expensive enough that maybe she won't eat them. Maybe when I get ready to have an old-fashioned tomorrow night, I'll open my jar and there'll be cherries there instead of spider webs, cobwebs, and a tumbleweed. I don't know how she got a tumbleweed in there, but a tumbleweed blowing through my bottle of cherries. <laughs> I, I, think, I think it'll last twice as long as it normally does. But you think she'll break? Oh, Absolutely. I, I appreciate that because, hey, honey, he said you're going to break. <laughs> These are advanced marriage techniques for those out there that are just getting into the marriage game. I'm just here to play the patsy. <laughs> these are these are advanced techniques. So, but so as one of mine and Glenda's favorite things to do, we're halfway through the show before I get to the topic. So what? You are obsessed with me checking the time this week. It never bothers you. Usually you're like, hey, check the time. Where are we? And that now you're drawing attention well, to it. It's that you do the slow roll over it's, there. It's because it's, I, I'm, I'm all out of sorts tonight. So I, normally I've got a very compact atmosphere for when we record the show. You know, the, the mic is typically on my left, kind of allows me to put the recorder right by my computer. So everything's kind of here. You know, I'm, I'm, I've got that jet pilot thing going on. Tonight, I'm all spread out. I've got the mic on the wrong side. The recorder's on your side of the table, practically. I'm just a little out of sorts. So, when Glenda and I sit on the back porch and smoke our cigars and listen to the cigar cast and play poker together, I've asked her not to say, oh, they could have the full house. Because usually we're in the same room together playing poker. And every time she'll say, 
can they they could have the full house. They'll have the full house. They could have the straight. I'll have three of a kind. I got three of a kind. Oh well, they could have the straight. They'll have the straight. In my life, I have learned you may speak things into existence. So many times in my life, things have happened just because I spoke them aloud. And I'll, and it's it's funny because there's such a such a power in when you speak. And I was meeting with a young man. And knew his father well, and he was a teenager, and he was getting up there. And I, I asked him, I said, his name was Joshua. And I said, do you want me to call you Josh? Do you want me to call you Joshua? Do you want me to call, me jo- call you Joe? What do I call you at this stage in your life? He said, whatever you want. I said, no. Names have power. Decide what you want to be gone by and say it. And also, am I too philosophical, or can you speak life into existence? No, I think you can. I, I'm not sure how those two stories relate, um, but it does remind me of a colleague I had recently. So we're talking to somebody who's who's well into their professional career, you know, long established. They went, you know, their email address said Matthew, you know, in Outlook. So it was programmed that way from the IT department. Signature on his email said Matthew, but everyone called him Matt. And so, of course, I do the same thing because what you want to... Obviously, I have, and as do you, you know, you go by your middle name. I go by a nickname, but my, I have no connection to my, my legal given name. Honey, that's not, that doesn't mean what you think it means. <laughs> I'm going to put that out there just early. I'm going to get hit this week, too, so at least we're in the same boat. Um, so it's important to me to call people by what they prefer to be go to, and sure enough, uh, either one's fine, whatever you... Well, I'm not in favor of correcting people. I'm not in favor of, oh, hi, Tara. It's Tara. I'm not in favor of that crap. Why not? It's still their name. It is, but why take the time? If I'm never going to address you again, if, I, if you're getting me a milkshake at McDonald's, shut up and get me the milkshake. Well, why are you addressing them by name anyway? Because I'm a human being. I'm a decent human being. Don't you always know the name of your waitress and address them properly? Yeah, I do, but I don't... I don't and they, put a, they put a, nick, a name tag right there on them for that very purpose. Are you just dehumanizing to all of the people that you come into contact with? No, I'm, 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 I'm fully understand. Like, yes, if you need to, just... But how often do you use someone's name? It's such a... 80s Wolf of Wall Street sales, sleazy car salesman move. We've all been there, right? Where you're dealing with the guy and you, we're trying to, and, and he knows your name and he has a tendency to call you by your name like every fourth word. Now, I'm not now, doing... Trey, the, now, Trey, the thing is with this car, Trey, is that when you get in this car and you're driving down the road, Trey, then you're really gonna. <laughs> no, just stop. So, yes, if. If I am going to address someone by their name, though, I I I want to make it I want to make it right. You know, it's I was having a conversation recently about you know about one of my sort of I don't I don't want to go so far as to call it a a negative character trait, but it's neutral at best. I spend an inordinate amount of time worrying about being perceived as rude. That's a big respect is a huge driver for me in my life, as is rudeness. I have an extreme distaste for rudeness, especially intentional rudeness, but even unintentional rudeness. And so I spend a lot of time thinking about not necessarily whether or not people like me, but whether or not they're going to perceive my actions as being rude. 
and to me, not making the effort to pronounce someone's name correctly is is one of those things that it's it, it's a bit rude. Yeah, but I have a na- I had a neighbor that to the day he moved out from the day I moved in my house to the day he moved out, he thought my name was Sean. Because he would call me Sean, I would answer never correct. Me and him talk four times a year. Well, so why would you why don't walk through life trying to look for something to correct in other people. That's a little bit of a different I mean, but I think you correct him the first time. Why? If you're still going to talk to the I think absolutely. Three I mean, or four times a year I'm going to talk to him. He can call me Sean. He can call me whatever. It just did not matter in my life. Well, it's one of those things like, and it comes up a lot, especially, you know, neither my wife nor I have a particularly Southern accent. We, do, we just don't, uh, even though we both grew up in the South. And so when the topic of potential baby names comes up, because like it does with most couples, um, one of, the, one of the things, one of the buffers that we have to run that through is the southern accent. For instance, I grew up in the you know 90s and you know going going to high school in the early 2000s and and what and so by as a result of that, I I went to school with a lot of people named Megan, M E G A N, Megan. Uh, and I hate that. It's Megan. It's Megan. No, it's Megan. No. Everyone I know called them Megan. Yeah. And so I could I could never name a child Megan knowing that no one would ever pronounce it correctly. When, Especially because I find that pronunciation Megan just so nails on a chalkboard. One of my one of my buddy's wife's name is Megan. Mm-hmm. And I almost pushed her out of a moving truck at four o'clock in the morning going deer hunting because she said, Did you call me Megan? No, I called you Megan. Well, I thought it said Megan. I could have pushed her out of the truck, moving, never would have slowed down, 12 degrees, left her in a ditch, wouldn't have bothered me at all. (laughs) To be fair, it was very early in the morning and you don't drink coffee, so I kind of get it. Oh, no, I would have done it at high noon. (laughs) I'd have pushed her out of the Pope Mobile. But anyway, it's just, it's not worth time. I mean, there's so much better things to spend your energy on in life than correcting others. Yeah, but but for instance, you know, but if... I don't know. I, surely, and surely, as you were going through, you know, school and things, as and, and I don't know if it was like this for you, like it was for me growing up. But you know, first day of class of a new grade, you know, they're calling the roll for the first time. Despite the fact that they taught your parents and your older siblings, they still call the roll based on what's written there. And I'm sure you had to tell a lot of teachers, no, it's not Larry, it's Shane. Uh, no, most of most of the time, I just let it roll. And so. So, like, all through grade school, you were known by no, your first name? No, they'd say, why are you sign, your, why are you sign it Shane? Because that's my name. I've been calling you Larry. Yeah, i got better things to do. <laughs> I've been that way my whole life. I just, I don't spend energy correcting others. It's just to me, it's just to me a pointless endeavor. I'm not going to burn a lot of calories trying to, now, if somebody is doing something that could potentially hurt themselves or me and I feel the need to come up, then I will. But I've got plenty of energy for saving babies from railroad crossings and things like that because I don't spend time trying to say, Larry, Shane, you know, people call me all the time. Is this Larry Reeves? Yes, it is. And I'll, I don't correct them. I've got better things to do. Yeah, but, I mean, I guess for me, it, it goes back to what we were talking about, about how names have power. And I, I have my identity is it has there is a part of my identity which which is comprised of my name, and so 
And I, and I do think it comes from the fact that I've had to fight to be recognized by the name I go by pretty much my whole life. Interesting. It's, it's interesting. It's different walks of life. You know, we walk a very different path in life. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm way more laid back about that stuff. That's just not something I chase. But anyway. But the whole speaking it into existence, we kind of, we kind of sidetracked from that. Yeah. Uh, apparently, my example was not was not a great example, <laughs> in so much as it took us down a totally different rabbit hole than where we started. <laughs> so, so we're we're at twenty minutes. Let's let's sidetrack the the um, speaking it into existence because I do think that that's an important. Okay, we can come back in the second half. So, so of that. we'll come back in the second half and talk about that. Let's talk about the fact that cigar smokers live longer. So, from the WashingtonPost.com, secrets of longevity may lie in long lived smokers, a biologically distinct group of extraordinary gene variants. I don't like the way they cached this. I also, like, it speaks to me like so many of these studies that you read of, like, you know, Intelligent people swear more than unintelligent people, or you know, left-handed people are more likely to be biochemists. Like, what? <laughs> it, yeah. it's this weird conclusion drawing. I, I, I really, if I could teach the entire world one thing, it's that correlation does not equal causation. Well, you know, I, I actually was yelling at somebody about this the other day because he was trying to convince me the position you made love determined whether it was a boy or a girl. I was yelling at somebody on my back porch about this very about about that sort of tertiary connections. But anyway, we're not jumping down if, that road again. If that's the case, then we would have had nothing but one or the other for a large section of humanity's past. I'm not like I said, I'm not going deep into that. I'm just this is this is the same person that thought the Japanese dropped a nuclear bomb on Pearl Harbor. Uh, oh yes, okay. <laughs> So, but I'm not going to tell that story on this show either. So I'm trying to get it. That's the problem with philosophical shows is we do tend to wander. Yeah, but all of the feedback we ever get is good. So, okay. So basically this whole article, I'm going to just sum it up. I'm not going to try to quote them and read them is that. So they're saying smoking can take up to 10 years off your life. Let me ask you a question. Philosophically speaking, the joy you've had in life. Would you give that up to live to 90 instead of 80? Yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, that's the... If it's, taking the, if it's taking 10 years off the front of my life or 10 years off the back of my life, I really don't care. It's the middle of my life that I've enjoyed having a cigar with friends that really is important. And it's, you know, it's one of those things that every time somebody talks about, oh, it takes years off your life, oh, it takes years off your life. I want to know how someone's quantifying that. You know, we're all going to live to different ages. You know, very few people die at the exact same, you know, 87 years, 20 weeks, 13 days, and four hours. Yeah, it's not like the buzzer goes off and you're, and you're gone. Right. And I'll, but... Because I would, I would imagine, you know, if you, if you look at the health risks in this country, you know, high blood pressure, hypertension, um, you know, heart disease are leading causes of death. One of the most, one of the strongest correlations you can draw to hypertension is stress. So I venture to guess smoking one or two cigars a day, you know, five to seven a week, whatever it is, the 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 amount of relaxation, of level setting, of you know stress release that you get from that far outweighs, you know, because we're not talking about you know people chain smoking cigarettes and inhaling here. We're talking about a ritual, a practice. I think, yeah, I I would much rather 
trade a couple of years in hospice for a good cigar with a friend. See, I would do. I think. I think it's just kind of. Um, so why do people not want us to smoke? Why can people not say, "Hey, it's your life. Live it the way you want." Why is that? What I don't. I don't possess. There's a, there's a couple of aspects of life that I don't possess. I don't possess the desire to reproduce. I don't possess the desire to create miniature versions of myself to follow me around and ask a bunch of dumb questions. I have no desire to do that. that I was just but born about that. But then who would you scare about haunted houses? Oh, my kids. Your, your kids. <laughs> that's, what, that's what it's there for. Yeah. And, I'll, and I have no desire to tell somebody that something that brings them joy is... Is should somehow not happen, and uh, I just I, where did these people get this? How do they get that? And I'm I'm sure those two things are related some way, but <laughs> where where does that desire come from? Because that to me is what this article is like. This article is like, okay, we see people that are enjoying their self smoking, and we can't really prove that it makes them live long, makes it that it cuts time off their life. But let's try to scare it out of them. I don't get it. You know, I as much as you know, so we have made a lot of, well, it goes back to what we talk about when it comes to the FDA. I mean, it all boils down to the exact same argument, and it's the fact that, that premium cigars are different. So what you and I enjoy smoking is so much different from what everyone thinks about when they think about They think about sitting in the back seat of the Ford Fury with their parents chain-smoking Marlboros with the windows up and no AC and no seatbelts. Right. That's what they see when they think, and yeah. That was bad for you. It was bad for the people doing it. It was bad for the kids. We know this. But so few people smoke cigarettes anymore, and everyone needs a boogeyman. And so, you know, we've talked about it, I think, on the show, but definitely in the process. I don't smoke around kids. That's, that's a choice I make with my hobby. I'm not going to do it because... Now, I believe that the leaf blower and the lawnmower and all of that and the sitting in traffic on I-40 with the windows down is doing way more harm to my lungs and my body than my cigars are. But I can at least recognize that, yes, smoke is an irritant if you're trying to breathe in a confined space where a cigar is being smoked. I'll give you that. But how often is that really happening that we need to scare people? That's the thing. I, I think, I, you know, that's just, it's one of the aspects of life I don't understand. I don't understand people's desire to control others. I have no desire to control other people. It's just not my, not my deal. I'm just. You will have a very hard time living a fulfilled or happy life if you, if you strive so strongly to control others. Yeah. And th- there comes a point, you know, if I, if I encounter people that are trying to control me, if I encounter people that want to guide me in a certain direction and won't lead me, I just let, I leave them alone. I let them call me Sean and walk on. <laughs> and I'll just... But, you know, and that's the thing. You know, here's another article, exactly the same thing. Edmonton, Canada. Cigar lounges exempted in new smoking and vaping regulations. Good. And the Alberta government says... This is set back anti-smoking by 13 years. So the fact that a couple of old dudes can go sit down in a cigar shop, fire up a cigar, prop up their feet, and watch a hockey game or whatever it is they do in Canada, eat a donut. I don't know. What do they do in Canada? They, anyway, they watch hockey and eat donuts. They watch Canada yeah. hockey? Okay. The, the fact cl- that, Club a seal every now and then. Hey, could, could you put, like, the cigar through the hole in the donut? That would be awesome. Like I'm a flange. Sure. <laughs> I'm sure someone has tried it. I'm, I'm certain. 
and all. But um, the they're saying that how could that possibly have set anti-smoking back thirteen years? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't get it. it. If if a couple of people having a safe and confined environment in which to enjoy a hobby is setting your cause back, I think you might want to reevaluate your cause. Well, and I think I do think you touched upon the the big deal in all this. The anti-smoking movement, underline the word movement for those of you transcribing at home. The movement, so the movement's pretty well whipped cigarettes, hadn't it? I mean, do you know any kids to speak of? What percentage of kids do you think actually smoke cigarettes now? Yeah, I don't feel like, they all vape. Yeah, they all vape. <laughs> and uh, So, but it's a movement. They have to keep moving. If they, like, it's not like they're ever going to say, okay, Philip Morris is out of business. Good job, folks. Let's all go home, eat a donut, smoke a cigar. Right. And uh, it's it's a movement. And I think that's a big part of what drives all of this kind of of foolishness. Well, make no mistake, there's a lot of money to be made in causes. Whether that's an altruistic cause, whether that's a, you know, a, a, a financial or a business cause or whatever it is, but but hitting people on an emotional level, there's money in that. There is. And, uh, and people will always follow the money. That is. There is some some to that. But okay, let's take a break. All right. When we come back, We I promise we'll talk about speaking it into existence. I, I'm speaking it into existence that we're going to talk about speaking it into existence when we come back. There we go. We'll be back with that more after this. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is Shane, son of Larry, master of the mystic art of AutoCAD, slayer of deer, holder a leash of the dread Labrasaurus Ace, enemy of ambiguity, siege master of crops of Nicaraguan tobacco. And Trey's over there. <laughs> have, have I ever shared with you one of my favorite podcasts called uh, Hello from the Magic Tavern? No. Okay, we'll we'll talk about it after the show, but essentially it's it's been going on for four years, one hundred percent improved, and everything they speak immediately becomes canon. So you know, this is four years of building this world. It, it takes place in kind of a Middle Earthian type thing, and the 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 main character is a is an Earthling who stumbled into it, and then all of the crazy people that they that they you know meet along the way. One of them is Usador. A wizard, and every time he ta- calls his name, he does. He goes through the entire oh yeah pantheon every single time. It's hilarious. I actually think it would be great if we could get back to that. If when you introduced yourself to somebody, you had to name at least one or two accomplishments, one or two great things that you've done, right. one or two things that you've you know where you've been, where you hail from. Yeah, you know, um, not necessarily like the old school dueling rules where you both stood up and talked about, you know, how many people you had killed before before you get to the duel. Right. And all, but definitely a little more in a little more titling would be awesome in our day-to-day life. You know, it, when I, it's funny because when I go to Wayne County to deer hunt and somebody pulls up, and Wayne County's a very small, very rural county. Everybody knows everybody. So they see somebody in a strange truck, 
somewhere where they don't usually see them, they're going to stop and ask, hey, right. who, who you are, who you are, what are you doing? Yeah. And you ain't I, from around here, <laughs> are you, boy? And I generally have to have to say, okay, I'm Shane, I'm Sharon's boy, I'm, you know, okay. depending on what part of Wayne County I'm in, I'm either Larry's son or I'm Sharon's boy. Right. One or the other. And, oh, yeah, I went to school with your mama back in, you know, yeah. so forth and so on. And uh, she's still married. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> All of that stuff. So it is. You do kind of get that in the more rural environments, but I kind of enjoy that part. I kind of I enjoy. You know, I'm I'm Connor McLeod of the Clan McLeod. <laughs> we could you imagine how big our driver's licenses would have to be? <laughs> you, th- you think you'd have to whip out your license? Hey, uh, you say you fought the Odin son. We're going to have to see that in some records here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the, the real ID would be a nightmare. Uh, people people complaining about I having the ID to, to vote. <laughs> And you have to name your accomplishments, dragons you've slain. I need you to bring validation of all of your claims. <laughs> Severed head will do. Um. If, you, if, you, if, someone, if someone bests you in one of your accomplishments, you have to update your license. Oh, yeah. So if you're no longer the conqueror of the halls of Usador, you have to. So now we have to bring that back. Well, we, we have mercy. Hey, until 1988, I was a conqueror of the halls of Usador. I got a little old for hall conquering, and <laughs> Jeremiah stepped up and took care of that. I signed his paperwork the other day. <laughs> I, just, I just really like the idea of that. I don't know. I've, I've been, it's funny because we were talking about names in the first half of the show, and then that just happened to be the bump joke. That That's I had funny. written down for this week. It's kind yeah. of, uh, I spoke it into existence. I love the fact that you lose a bar fight to a guy, and then afterwards you have to go find a notary to transfer the name, oh, naming your, rights of the. Your finer bars would have a notary on staff. There you go. <laughs> your finer bars would definitely have that on hand, and all. But anyway, okay. So speaking it into existence. So you, when you brought this up originally, you said something that was intriguing to me, and you said speaking it into existence versus writing it down. And I wanted you to clarify the difference for you, because I, I have a, because I very much believe in, in speaking things into existence, but I also believe in the power of things like vision boards and, and being, remi- you know, writing something down is more likely to commit it to memory and things like that. So I, I was kind of curious of your distinction there. It's an interesting, um, interesting dichotomy in my life. On one hand, I hate the guy that said, when I was 21, I wrote myself a check for $2 million, and today I cash that. Ah, yeah, whatever. Pretentious. You know. Anyway. Um, I hate he calls the, himself an aficionado, too. Yeah, he calls himself aficionado, and I'll watch his tour de France, just stuff like that. Um, so, sorry. <laughs> I had to throw that. But um, It's Euros. Oh, is it euros? Two million euros? But anyway, so on one hand, I hate that. But on the other hand, it means a lot that sometimes I just write a letter to my wife. Yeah. Telling her what she means to me, telling her what she does, telling her how much I appreciate her. And her having that tangible piece of paper with it down in writing carries a lot of power. Mm -hmm. So it's actually speaking it into existence and writing it down are almost two totally separate topics. Okay. And all, but I had couched it that way in my um, because I I do think if you write your goals down and you lock them inside a safe inside another safe inside of a volcano and throw them in there, you're never going to accomplish them. Well, and that was the that was the clarity I was hoping to get from you because I think I think I agree with you if you know if you write your goals down 
because you're too afraid to share them with other people who may hold you accountable, then what have you really accomplished? You know, but if you if you write them down to be reminded of them, you know, when I when I first uh, stopped drinking, one of the first things I did was tell a few people I knew would keep me honest. You were among those. You know, there's there's a lot of power in in knowing that you've if you if you set a goal, if you share it with people, you're you feel a stronger. Uh, you, you feel more compelled to try and live up, at least if you're wired the way I am, where you strive for other people's approval. You know, I don't think that that, but um, but one of the first things I did was I took a, a little sticky notepad and I wrote one day, two days, three days, four days, and I went all the way through 30 days, and then I did, you know, then I did weeks, you know, this many weeks, that many weeks, that many weeks, and then once I got to enough weeks that if it were a baby, people would be making fun of me. And I started doing months. And I wrote out the entire first year. And every single day was accounted for. And the first thing I would do, and I stuck it on the monitor of my computer at work. And every day, first thing when I would get there in the morning, I would peel off yesterday's sticky note. And I would, and it would, it would be a reminder of the goal I set for myself and the accomplishment that I was trying to achieve. Here we are over four years later, and I'm, you know, it's and I think there's a lot, a lot of impact in things like that. Yeah, I, I think there is, and I think it's like I said. I think it's two separate existences. Speaking it into existence may be a little esoteric. You know, I know one day I'm going to be a millionaire. Right. And I'll, I've known that from the time I was very young. I've known that. I've never had any doubts that one day I'm going to be a millionaire. Not a big. Not a. It's not even a goal. It's a foregone conclusion. Now, there's times in my life that I want to do stuff that I say, no, that's not furthering me toward that goal. That could throw me off the track of what I have already stated into existence. And, uh, and, and hey, I'm unashamed to say money motivates me. I'm not going to be one of these people on the high horse, you know, when we talk about success. People like to crawl up on their high horse and, well, what is success? And is success, um, you know, success can be money. Success does not have to, the having of money does not preclude you having success. No, but. It also does not ensure you have success. And I think that's the, I think sometimes people, and, and I'll even say myself included, are oftentimes are trying so hard to prove one point that they end up disproving another. And, and, and that's kind of what you're talking about. Yeah, can you can you be successful and not have money? Sure. Can you be successful and have money? Absolutely. Can you be unsuccessful and have money? By all means, sure. Um, I think I think where we run into issues is when we start measuring other people's success by our yardstick. And I th- I think that can get us into kind of sticky situations because you you start holding other people to your standards and people are never going to live up to your standards. Well, and inherently, the most unhappy, successful people I've known have been people that they didn't have a end game in mind. They yeah. didn't. They just they just wanted more. Right. They're, the 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 concept of enough. Has never has never settled in and taken root in their brain. What is enough? When is enough enough? And and I think that's a big. I, I think that's a, a very you know real concept that that I wish more people understood. You know, you look at people like Bezos or Bezos or however it's pronounced. He's got enough. 
by any measure, by anybody's yardstick, he's got enough. But he doesn't have the kind of brain that allows him to say, all right, I've got enough. It's just more, more, more. And it'll be more until the day he dies. Now, if he's happy with his existence, then I don't think it's necessarily our place to judge him. Now, I can say that I wouldn't live my life that way. I, I have an enough button, you know. Um, but I also think, you know, kind of going back to the, you know, the difference when, t- you know, talking about, like, going to be a millionaire. You know, there are, there are people that you could look at and say, go make camp. And they'll go and they'll do it. They've never been camping before. But they're familiar enough with the concept, and they'll go and they'll find a nice, clear spot, high ground away from water, trees around, so you don't get struck by lightning. If the, you know, they'll find a dead tree, they'll make a fire, they'll do da 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 da, set up the tent. And then there are other people who you say go make camp, and they will say, okay, well, wh- you know, what's what are the priorities? You know, do I need to do the tent first? Do I need to get the fire going first? They're, they're going to need a little bit of more clarification. I don't think anyone, you know, some people like the step-by-step, the incremental goals, and other people are fine chasing an abstract goal. Well, it goes back to one of the things that happens in my life all the time. I always tell people, you may tell me what to do, or you may tell me how to do it, but you may never tell me both. If you tell me to do something then you're telling me, I trust you to do this, and you don't try to tell me how to do it. And and that's been a rule in my life for years and years and years, and it's one of the things that frustrates me when people, I get a result regardless, and people still, well, you didn't get it quite like I would have done it. Well, what does that matter? The results are are results. And and I, I have that argument all the time. Now, thankfully... My wife and I quit having that argument about six years into our marriage because she figured out, okay, if I want him to do something, I just need to ask him to do it. And if I want the towels folded a, posi- a specific way, I better go fold them. And, uh, and I think that's a, that's a huge step in maturity in life. And uh, I think towel folding, I don't know anybody that doesn't have a story about marriage and towel folding. Well, I, I think I've actually said it on the show before. Um, so I, I've now been married three times. And I grew up folding towels my mom's way. And then you get married, you find out there's a different way to fold towels. I had no idea. So I learned to fold towels that way. And then you get married again, you find out, wait a minute, there's another way to fold towels. So you start folding towels that way. And then now I'm, if, if God help me, if something ever happens where I find myself single, I'm going to have to get married again just to know if there's a fifth way to fold a stinking towel. Because I'm, I'm, I'm convinced. I've learned them all. <laughs> it, it's interesting. It's, towel folding becomes one of those things. But I do think, coming back to our topic, I do think you also have to be careful what you say. I believe that sometimes people say stuff aloud just thinking aloud and accidentally speak something bad into existence. Well, th- there's definitely a component of that. You know, I, I, I think you and I are going to disagree on this slightly. I do believe... So you just spoke that into existence. Well... <laughs> so now I have to disagree. Well, but I, I, knew, I knew you were going to regardless. I think, why are, I think humans in general, there are those that aren't, but, but the 80% in the middle are wired negatively. 
you know, you get negative confirmation bias. It's a it's a real thing. It's been studied in sociology and psychology. Like we we know that you're more likely to fixate as it, you know, humans are more likely to fixate on the one negative piece of feedback than the three positive pieces of feedback. That's just the, that, you know, there are people like yourself, and that's why I know you're going to disagree with me, because you're not wired that way. Um, or at least you don't think so. And so... <laughs> I know I'm not. So, you know, I, I do think there's a certain amount of, of speaking things into, you know, if you... you it, it's a bit of a trope, but the people that sit... You know, they, they have a negative interaction with somebody and then they just sit there and they dwell and they relive the fight over and over in their head. And I would have said this and they would come back with that. And it, and it just and it builds on itself to the point that you come in, you know, the next time you see the person, you've you've been fighting with them for the last three weeks. Only they don't know it. Right. You know, that's sort of, so I do think there's an element of that. I, you know, I think, well, not to interrupt you, no, but, I have, but I have the perfect supporting evidence for your argument. Um, one of the things I always tell my customers, the, one of the top things I tell my customers is here's where the horror stories you hear about people ha- doing building houses come from. You go out, you look at the house, you see, I don't like the way that board's nailed, but I'm not going to mention that. And all, that's a minor thing, and I'm not going to mention that. And then you come out and you say, well, I don't like how that carpet lays in that corner. I'm not going to mention that. Hey, I don't like how that trim... By the time you reach the straw that breaks the camel's back, you're yelling at the builder about stuff that happened 20 steps ago right. that he could have fixed in two minutes 20 steps ago. Right. And uh, so, um, and it's hard on both sides of that arrangement. It's hard for the builder not to say, well, does this person think I'm an idiot? Of course I'd have caught that. But a good builder don't do that. A good builder is able to lay their ego aside and not necessarily feel that way. Well, and that's, I think, you know, I think that's one of the things that I strive for in my life is that, you know, is the idea that somebody bringing something to my attention, you know, we, we have such a, a predisposition to say, well, it's not that important to me, so it's not that important. Or it's, you know, or it's a minor thing. It's not worth all of this stuff. But, you know, eventually, like, like you said, it builds, and so if you don't, you know, there's, there's a lot of power in saying, you know what? You're right. I didn't see it. I'll do it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come the long way around to describing this because I think that it's because coming back to your 80% of people are, mm. are, are live, prefer negativity. Um, so the best description of depression that I ever had given to me by a psychiatrist, it was a wonderful description. If... 10 is multi-orgasmic joy, and zero is I'm going to drive my car into the river and end it all. The, where the average person will run their life at about a five. And so they can get to 10, they can get to zero, they can get to both of those places, but they got buffer. They've got a long way those. to go to get one or the other. A depressed person runs their life at three. Right. So it's easier for them to get to zero and much harder for them to get to 10. Right. And uh, where does your 80% run their life? I think, and I know you hate when I answer questions this way, but I think there are so, I think there are so many factors that go into that beyond just the, the actual physical disease of depression, but also the, the 
sociological factors that contribute to depressive tendencies, um, you know, addiction, support systems, all of those things that, that really play a factor. Now, you know, looking at math and standard deviation, I'm going to say average being average, that probably is about a five or like four and three quarters. Well, because I'm always, I'm always interested because in ever since she gave me that piece of advice, I have said, I want to live my life at a seven. And I've had so much joy come to me from living my life at a seven, from saying, okay, my baseline is going to be seven. But and I'll, and I and I made that conscious decision, and I tailored my life to that. I've eliminated things that don't bring me joy, and sometimes that involves, you know, cleaving a relationship. Sometimes, right. you know, there's been relationships in my life that I've just said, I'm not going to have this relationship with this person and live a seven and cut them out and push them on their way. Yeah, well, both both you and I have talked separately, or we've separately arrived at the conclusion that we don't like the show Family Guy, for that very reason. It doesn't. It doesn't bring me any positivity. Like, yes, it may be funny from time to time, but the the energy of that show is is draining, and it and it's and I think to your point about you know kind of the average being five, most people being at a five. I think there's a big difference between a five looking at six and five looking at four. You know, you can live most of your life at a five, but then when you when you stray from five you go down to three and then you come back up to five and then you go down to four and then you come back up to five maybe you go to six every once in a while but for the most part even though you stay around average your deviations are are low i think that so i i don't think just the i i think it and that's so much of that i think comes from outlook comes from some support systems uh, and relationships and that sort of thing. Well, it was interesting because last week I had a very stressful week. Last week I did not live my life at a seven. I was not having a seven week. So Sunday when I was sitting there with no pants on smoking a cigar, I said, okay, what did I do last week to cheat myself out of a seven? I didn't focus on what anybody else did, where anybody else went. And I looked at, okay, this is the fault of... This is what I did in order, which I did have to put my pants on and go show you a house Sunday, but you, that which actually surprised us because we weren't expecting a same day turnaround on that. That was just a FYI thing. Well, but I realized that part of my not having a seven that week was that I had let myself. I don't think you can maintain a five. I don't think you can maintain a five. I don't. I do not think you can maintain a five in life. I think you are either pushing for a seven or you're suffering a three. Yeah. Well, and that's and that's kind of a, a different way of saying exactly what I'm trying to encapsulate. I think. I think even if you happen to be at a five, you're always pointed one direction or the other. Yeah, and I, th- and I think that's inter- I think that's an interesting thing and all, and it's about speaking the things into your life that bring you to a seven speaking the things in life that are going to bring you joy and bring you a seven you know and and quelling the little articles of okay how silly do i look sitting here smoking a 14 inch cigar i don't care right and I'll, and there's a lot of power in just not caring there is <laughs> that be you know i'm blessed i'm the kind of person that can that can say i don't care and when i say i don't care i'm not saying i don't care flippantly Right. I legitimately don't care. Well, you know, I have a 13-year-old daughter at home. You know, there are a lot of conversations in our house right now about it doesn't matter what other people think. And obviously it goes in one ear and out the other, but because it would have for us at that age too. 
But it's but yeah, there's that that conversation happens a lot in my house right now, which is like it doesn't like if you want to be the weird kid, be the weird kid. I'm still the weird kid and I'm happy about it. And, sure. if, and if someone looks gives me the hairy eyeball, just give them a good kick in the ankle and walk away. Well, so anyway, so come so I think we've we've covered that subject in its entirety. And I do have an article I have to hit regardless at all because it's so it's so pertinent to my life this week. One of my builders just bought his dream car and it gives me so much joy. He just bought a brand new 2021 Chevy Corvette and he custom ordered it over a year ago. He custom put all the features he went in. He paid the extra money to go on the Corvette tour. He has a little plaque in the Corvette installed in the dash with his name on it. That's going to hurt resale value. And all he did, well, he <laughs> wouldn't care about that. He, no, it's I his am. dream car. And all. And did he, he do the driving thing where they'll teach you how to drive it too? Oh, yeah. And they, he showed me the video today of when he picked up his Corvette on Monday. He went to the Corvette Museum and they walked him through the Corvette Museum and showed them the first Corvette all the way to the Corvette that he's driving away right. in that day. It took like four hours. Yeah. And the most ins- the most inspirational part of that was when he said, yes, I'm ready to go home and got in and the, guy, the other guy had to drive it out of the building. He couldn't drive yeah. it out of the building, but he got in the passenger seat. You can blame the lawyers and insurance guys for that. Well, it, actually, I think it's better this way. I think it's the way I would want it. Because when he got in, when the guy fired up the Corvette, he honked twice, and everybody in the Corvette Museum stopped what they were doing and came out and gave him a round of applause as he was leaving in his brand-new 2021 Corvette. Yeah. And you could just... And he was... Of course, he was sitting in the passenger seat just a-beaming. Of course. And all. And because it represents so much in there. And that, that, to me, is just... That's sheer, pure joy of life. And all. That's just... That, that, that just makes me so happy for anybody to get to experience that sort of thing. So, Millionaire will be buried in his Morgan Aeromax because it's the best way to go. Now, I'd, I'll be honest, I'd never seen a Morgan Aeromax before this article. So, these cars are seriously, seriously cool. So, it actually has a wood frame. Okay. Um, and one of the things that's kind of cool about the Aeromax is that it's cross-eyed. So, the left, the driver's side headla- headlamp points to the passenger side down the road and vice versa. So they, they cross in front of you. And it's just a really neat little stylized feature that I think is kind of neat. Well, Philip Allen, he's a millionaire businessman from Australia, known car collector. He has stated that he is going to be buried. He's going to be mummified and buried behind the wheel of his Morgan Aeromax with a cigar in his hand. And that they're going to bury the entire car they're going to pour a concrete slab over it so somebody can't dig up the car, throw the mummy out, and go resell it. Right. And anything like that. Is that not just the is that not the, the greatest, coolest way to go ever? It's not for me. I, I, I applaud this guy. If that's what he wants, that's great. I also think it's funny that they're encapsulating this car as if it weren't for the fact that this was... It, it's such a small batch, custom number. Like, they even mentioned that it was... Um, I don't know if you know who Richard Hammond is. He's a TV presenter in the UK. It was originally built for him and then sold up. So they already know the heritage of this car. So if you tried to, like, take a Morgan to auction and say, this is Richard Hammond's car, there are going to be some people who go, wait a minute. Didn't that have a dead guy behind the wheel the last time I saw it? So, but, yeah, it, it's not for me. Uh, there, There is not a single... <clears throat> 
I'm, I'm going to say this, but I don't know that it's true. There's not a single material possession I have that brings me the kind of joy that I want to be that I want to be entombed with it. First of all, I don't want to be entombed at all. I want to be cremated. But, uh, you know, as much as I love my bicycle, you know, and, and yes, it does make me happy, but it doesn't bring me joy, if that makes sense. You know, that that it's it's a it's a vehicle for for that. But it, it it's not the creator thereof. And so I, I I wouldn't do this, but I can understand if if, you know, if that's the way you want to go, like, and you've got the means to make it happen, go for it. It's, I, that that Aeromax is probably cheaper than a lot of coffins in the U.S. Well, I don't know. It's $198,000 is what he <clears throat> paid for it in 2014. And turning it into a coffin will cost him an extra 75000 uh, Health and safety, and you got to you know, oh, drain yeah. the fluids, and sure, you've got to sure. do all that stuff. Yeah, you don't want to pollute the environment. And I, I don't know what the price of mummification is. No, is he about to die? Is he already dead? Or is no. this just him planning ahead? This is just him planning ahead, him saying that's what he, he wants to do. Yeah, and until all. the kids get a hold of the will and say, yeah, just put them in a pine box. We'll yeah, deal hey, with it. Yeah, hey, Dad, uh, are you sure? <laughs> but the Aeromax needs to go with you. <laughs> yeah. Do we really have to do that? You know he's got a son that like he took to auction. They bought this car together, and it's like it was a bonding moment, and the kid's just waiting for the old man to croak so that he can get the Morgan. And then he, then he reads this in the news on his way to his job the next day, and he's like, oh, man. <laughs> Oh well, I guess I'll have to take one of the Lam- one of the eight Lamborghinis he has in lieu of it. Actually, I've got to say, if, I don't know if there are any other car guys listening to the show, but he also has a '74 Lancia Strada Stradale Coupe. That's that's the that's the piece of his collection that I would want. Well, it, it's just interesting. It's just it's funny how that article hit at the same week that I was. Getting to watch the video of my builder getting to drive off into the sunset in his yeah. dream car. And you think he'll be buried in it? Oh, no. No, <laughs> I, I actually, I don't. I, if he owns it three years, I'll be surprised. Yeah. Uh, and all because he's that guy. He's the guy right. that he's accomplished this goal now. Now he, no, he'll, be ready the for the, he'll be ready for the next one. But he yeah. brought it to the office today, and I got to see the mid-engine design, yeah. the unibody frame. It's, the, it's, it's the first Corvette that I would own. It's, it's beautiful. It really yeah. is. And it was interesting. He showed me some pictures going through the Corvette Museum, and he was talking. And it was interesting how you can almost tell what era a Corvette is by the design of it, because that's oh, kind of what people were into at that time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And all. But anyway, all right. Well, I've enjoyed this podcast tremendously. Much better than it started. Much better than it started and all. So how do they get a hold of us, Trey? You can reach us on Facebook.com slash CigarCast or e- email info at CigarCast.com and, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at The CigarCast. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening this week. I've still got, what have I got, seven inches of cigar left? Six yeah, inches? You're, about, you're a little over halfway through it. Yeah, I'm, I'm still sitting here smoking on this. I figure I'll be smoking on this another, at least another hour probably and all, but have a great cigar and think well of us.